Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today in chapter 15 of the book of 1 Samuel, the Lord rejects Saul as the king of Israel. And Samuel said to Saul, Yahweh sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them into lame, 200,000 men on the foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. Then he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of Yahweh came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to Yahweh all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on, and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to Yahweh, I have performed the commandment of Yahweh. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to Yahweh your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what Yahweh said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Yahweh anointed you king over Israel, and Yahweh sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of Yahweh? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of Yahweh? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of Yahweh. I have gone on the mission on which Yahweh sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to Yahweh your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of Yahweh and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. 
Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before Yahweh. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of Yahweh, and Yahweh has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, Yahweh has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before Yahweh your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before Yahweh. Then Samuel said, Bring me here to me Agag the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before Yahweh and Gilgal. And Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gabeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And Yahweh regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So our text today starts with the idea of the root of authority. Where does authority come from? Even for the king who is in charge of the people who has this authority to rule and to govern, where does his authority come from? It comes from the Lord. It is Yahweh who has made you king. It is Yahweh to whom you must listen. And Saul is going to fail to do that ultimately. Which does make you end up wondering with verse 3 if this is a test. Is God putting Saul to the test? It's not indicated. It just feels that way uh, as I read through the text. So I'm not saying it for sure. God is righteous and just in doing this. And that's the part we want to focus on. So a lot of people struggle with a text like this. Yahweh has instructed them to kill man and child, man, woman, and child. Our own rules of engagement and war typically say that we are to leave women and children alive. We're only to kill the men, we're to kill the soldiers. God here has Saul wiping out everyone and everything, every last part of, of that place. And this causes struggle. This seems like an evil and wicked thing to do, but this is where we need to challenge and reorient our minds around the bigger picture of things. We focus on and idolize this this life above many things, including God. When we stop and we rewind, we, we take this bigger picture look. Each and every single one of us has to face the judgment. Each and every single one of us is accountable for the sins that we have committed before Yahweh himself. Each and every one of us is guilty and deserves to die. Everyone, man, woman, and child. God's justice would actually result in the death of everyone myself included, yourself included, my children, my daughters included. They're sinners. I'm a sinner. We all deserve death. It is only by God's mercy. It is only by 
his love for his creation that he chooses to spare. And this is again his choice that he has made. If he chooses to spare one or a trillion, it is his choice to make. He is giving mercy where mercy has not been deserved. And this is what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. He has granted mercy to his creation that any who would believe, any and all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, who trust in the promises that Jesus has made, promises of forgiveness and life and salvation, promises of a resurrection of all people, to them, God has mercy. But none of us earn that. None of us deserve that. So the Amalekites here in this text They have sinned against God, they have rejected the Lord, and they have mistreated God's people. And so God has chosen in that particular moment of time and space to bring about his judgment upon them. He could do this at any time to any people, and he chose at that moment to do it there. They deserved their death. And so God sends Saul to be his soldier to carry out the task. Now, verse 4, we get some numbers, uh, different numbers again. So when Saul went up against Nahash, there were around 330,000 soldiers. When he went up against the Philistines, it was only like 3,600 soldiers. And here it's in the 210,000 mark. So lots of variant there in how many soldiers support Saul in the different battles that he goes to fight. As he goes down to a Amalek, which is south-southwest of Israel, um, he's going to run into the Kenites who are living in that land also. The Kenites were fair to God's people, treated them well in the wilderness wanderings, and so Saul gives them the warning and tells them to go ahead and leave. Get your people out of here because I'm about to wipe out anything in this place. So that's a, that's a nice and kind and loving gesture to have made, um, a merciful act from the king. Now, we see in verse 7 that Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur. If you're looking at a global map today, this is the eastern tip of Egypt all the way over to the Persian Gulf. So what we know in the biblical times is the Sinai Peninsula, um, which is in between the rabbit ears of the seas, the Red Sea and uh, I forget the name of the other one off the top of my head, the Kaspar Sea maybe. Um, whatever is in between there, that that plot of land that's almost triangular in shape. That's the the region talked about, discussed here, that that Saul has gone to defeat the Amalekites. Verse 8, he takes, well, before we get to that, ask your children, having read the text to them, what did Saul do wrong? So I already mentioned something he did that was, was good. It was just saving and sparing the Kenites. But what does he do wrong? It's a good question to be able to answer. We need to be able to discern and identify what is good and what is not. What is good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. What is righteous, what is faithful, versus what is sinful. What is sinful here is in verse 8 and 9, that he takes Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and they keep the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs, anything that was good, they kept for themselves. 
They had been told Saul had been commanded to destroy it all. Utter devastation, wipe it out, gone, leave nothing alive. Saul did not listen to the voice of God. Saul did not obey the voice of the Lord. And instead, as we see at the end of verse 9, they despised anything that was despised and worthless, they destroyed. So instead of God's judgment now being cast upon the Amalekites, whereas everything was to be destroyed, it's man's judgment that is being cast on the Amalekites, where only, only the things that man viewed as not worthwhile were destroyed. Rather than listening to God's judgment, Saul pronounces man's judgment upon Amalek. Verse 10 is going to strike a chord with Genesis chapter 6, when we have the account of Noah and the ark and the flood. It begins with God regretting that he had made man on the earth, because the, the thoughts of the hearts of men were only wicked all the time. And we see that here now that he regrets that he has made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me. Saul rebels against the Lord, and the Lord is going to bring about that punishment upon Saul. We're going to see that in the chapters to come, um, but it begins in the text here. Samuel learns of it as, as Yahweh speaks to him, and so Samuel ends up grieving all through the night to Yahweh, crying out, this is prayer, this is grief, uh, this is mourning, until morning, when he goes to tell Saul. I don't think we should take the verse 12 in a negative light. So Saul setting up a monument for himself. I don't think we should take that as though he has set up for himself a statue. Uh, look how great Saul is. Setting up a monument... It could be that, but he could have put something there as a memorial to mark what had happened that day that doesn't necessarily have to be of himself in any way, shape, or form. Now Saul claims to Samuel that he's done what God commands, and so Samuel gives him this kind of, it's not quite rhetorical, but <laughs> snarky response, I guess he would say, as he, <laughs> if you have commanded if you've done what God commanded you, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? If Saul had done what God commanded, there would be no sheep left to bleat or oxen to low. They would be gone. They would be dead. And as the conversation continues, Samuel brings that out. Why did you not obey the voice of Yahweh? Saul responds and says he has. I have obeyed, verse 20, skipping down to verse 21, but the people took. See the blame game there? Saul refuses at this point to repent. He refuses to take accountability for his own action and his own sins. Very similar to Genesis again, as we look at Genesis 1 uh, through 3, the creation of man and the fall into sin. God comes to Adam, gives Adam the chance to take accountability and responsibility for what he's done. And instead, Adam blames both God and Eve for the sin instead of himself. Saul here, instead of taking that responsibility, blames the people. Verse 22. I 
mean, really, this is this should be an obvious statement. Has Yahweh as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Which do you think Yahweh likes better, that you listen to him in the first place or that you sin against him and now have to make a sacrifice to receive forgiveness? Listen to God or sacrifice for forgiveness. God wants you to listen to him. That is better. That's the second part of the verse. It is better to obey than sacrifice. Verse 23 mentions the sin of divination. Saul is going to commit that sin soon. Uh, the, the medium of Endor, I believe, is the, the subtitle calls it a couple chapters to come. The verse ends, because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he also has rejected you from being king. Declaration, simple statement of fact, cause and effect. You rejected the Lord, so he has rejected you. Saul repents at that point, verse 24. Samuel refuses to take that repentance, so it makes you wonder, perhaps, if Samuel saw that Saul's repentance there actually wasn't genuine. I don't want to go that far. Um, As a pastor, when somebody repents of sin to me, I don't seek to judge their heart. I seek to take them at their word. If somebody comes into me and says that they've uh, they've committed whatever sin it is, they're sorry for it, and they want God's forgiveness. I am here to speak God's forgiveness to them. Now, if they come to me and admit that they've done something and say that they're struggling to repent of that, that I, I will work with them. I will help them engage in that wrestling and that conversation and, and to express them that repentance. But if somebody says that they are repentant, I take them at their word. I pronounce God's forgiveness and I leave it up to God then to do the rest. So I think if Samuel is acting faithfully here, what we're seeing is that Saul's repentance was not actually genuine, and it was obvious to Samuel. But I'm, I'm very careful about that in the way that I care for God's people, as most pastors that I know would say the same. Now, verse 27, as Samuel turns to walk away, Saul grabs his his clothing, his skirt, and tears it. Now, whether Saul actually pulled hard enough to tear it or not, that would be one thing. If this is God working, which it certainly could be, in order to provide a a life-lived illustration, which he often does through his prophets, um, and be able to teach Saul, that's a possibility as well. But this brings eventually brings Saul to repent question to discuss as a family together. What happens when we repent? The answer to that is that our sins are forgiven. When you repent, you turn away from your sin, you turn to God. So you can repent of your sin. Uh, we, The preferable way to do that is to go and speak to your pastor uh, because he can directly pronounce God's forgiveness to you so you get to hear it, uh, which is a wonderful blessing. You can repent, you can confess your sin without going to your pastor You just don't get to hear the absolution. And the hearing of the absolution is such an incredible, uplifting, and beneficial thing. Um, I encourage you to to do that. And as often as as much as you can, it's a good gift from the Lord. It is. (laughs) Lutheran theology has two or three sacraments, depending on how you define them. And absolution is one of them. It's that 
it's that maybe one um, because it doesn't have a tangible thing. You can't touch absolution like you can in the water of baptism or the bread and the wine and the Lord's Supper. But it still grants forgiveness of sins. It was still commanded of us by Christ. And so those are the, the requirements of a sacrament. Now, down in verse 33, Samuel does what God commanded from Saul in the first place. Samuel, a prophet, picks up the sword and kills Agag. And then in verse 35, we see that Samuel grieved over Saul for the rest of his life. There was sorrow. A sorrow that he he would have to live and see the, the wickedness that Saul would do as Saul would continue to reject the Lord. 